Hey, Consume listeners, Jamie Lewis here. I've been wanting to try new formats for the podcast, and this sixth season, I changed things up a bit. Every guest this season is a person of color in the wine and food industry, and roughly half of the interviews are conducted by Justin Tribu, a young black winemaker with a talent for honesty and conversation. This is a temporary format. I'll be back to hosting all the episodes myself next season, but it feels like a really important change this time around. As much as I could, I wanted to facilitate real discussion, and Justin's input and guidance helped a lot with that. I would have had her do all 10 episodes, but she was in the throes of harvest. So for what she was able to contribute, I'm very grateful. You may want to hear my interview with Justin first and listen on from there. Oh, and yeah, we're on Zoom again for these episodes. In any case, thank you so much for listening and happy sixth season of Consumed. Consumed is sponsored by my friends at Slow Life Magazine, for whom I write the food column. For the 2020 October-November issue, I'm writing about ribs in Slow County, and I included the Rib Line in Grover Beach, G Brothers in San Luis Obispo, and Miss Odette's Creole Kitchen in Paso Robles. It's been a sticky week around here, let me tell you, but I'm putting the finishing touches on the article now. If you live in San Luis Obispo or Avila Beach, check your mailbox for Slow Life Magazine every other month. And if you don't already get it, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Consumed is also supported by James Onaveros at Ranchos de Onaveros Wine in the Santa Maria Valley. If you haven't already listened to my episode with James in season one, I'll tell you, he's a ninth generation agriculturalist with roots that go back to when California was governed by Spain. His ancestors had this massive land grant and it was sold off in pieces until there was nothing left but he and his parents worked hard to buy back a parcel that overlooks the land that used to be their family's, and James planted his Pinot Noir vineyard there with his own two hands at the tender age of 23. I think one of the craziest things about James is that his last name, Onaveros, means the one true vine. The coolest part of his story, though, is that the wine is absolutely beautiful, with a very Burgundian style and influence. Taste that storyline for yourself by visiting the station in Los Alamos, where Ranchos de Onaveros wines are sold, along with elevated Santa Maria-style cuisine from Chef Conrad Gonzalez. For more information, visit ranchosdeonaveros.com or thestationlosalamos.com. Justin Trebu is the assistant winemaker at Lumen Wines, the label of winemaker Lane Tanner in Santa Maria, California. Justin is following in her footsteps, a boundary-breaking young winemaker with tons of verve and energy. I called Justin after she'd gone through a long day at work. She said she was running late because she was topping off barrels at the winery, which to me, as a non-winemaker, sounded really hard and far more important than recording a podcast. She's a fourth-generation Washingtonian, and she is Black, which definitely puts her in the minority on California's central coast, and even more so in the local wine industry. With the death of George Floyd, Justin and her wine industry friend, Simone Mitchelson, who is also interviewed here on Consume This Season, wrote an impassioned letter to the wine industry to grow in activism and diversity. They also used this letter to raise funds for the local grassroots organization, Race Matters Slow. I've included a link to the letter in the show notes at letsconsumed.com. Justin was recognized for that achievement by Wine and Spirits magazine and named one of its rising black voices in wine. Listen in on my conversation with Justin about wine, race, and Lord of the Rings. And don't miss the other episodes of Consumed, for which she is a special guest host. Okay, here's Justin. I can't tell you how happy I am that you're helping me. Yeah, totally. I'm super happy to be part of this. It was just time for something to be different. I don't know. Yes, I'm all for it. Awesome. Okay, so I I did a little digging around. I'm not a stalker, but I did a little digging around. And your name is Justin because of Justin Winery. Exactly. Is so, it really? Um, it is. So my parents are from uh, Washington, D.C. So they came out to California in 1994. My mom's a really big fan of the Godfather movies. So Coppola has a vineyard up north a little bit. And then they sort of drove down all throughout California and stumbled upon Justin Vineyards and Winery. And they found it before it was really, you know, the Justin Winery. And they fell in love and they must have fun because I was born very shortly after. That is so 
that is a crazy story, mostly because of what ended up happening after that, which is you grew up. Did you, did, were you born in D.C.? I was, yeah. So I'm a fourth generation native of Washington, D.C. Okay. And then. So my dad's from D.C. and my mom's uh, lived in Texas and in New Jersey. Okay. But then you wound up falling in love with wine and somehow made it back to Cal Poly. Oh, which, yeah. Why did you pick Cal Poly? Uh, so it's pretty funny. My mom actually Googled it. She knew that I wanted to do something food related, wine related, or hospitality related. So when I was looking at schools, I was looking at Cal Poly for their wine and viticulture program. I was looking at University of Vermont for their food science program. And I was looking at Cornell for their hospitality program because it's one of like the tops in the country. And when it really came down to it, my mom was like, it really depends on if you want sunshine or if you want snow. Like, I love the cold. I run hot. But I'm not trying to be in the cold a few months out of the year. So I definitely made the right decision. Yes, because it couldn't be more mild or temperate than here. Exactly. It's it, We're in our own little slice of paradise. Yes. Do you really think that? Do you like it here? I do like it here. I love the weather. I love the majority of the people. I love the yeah. wine. Uh, there are a lot of things I need to change, and there does need to be more inclusion and diversity. But overall, San Luis Obispo is pretty awesome. You know, yeah. everywhere is going to have its going to have its downfalls, and San Luis Obispo definitely does have it. Uh, but they're overall fantastic. I have yeah. a lot of great people in this area that care about me. Mm, that's awesome. And you probably still do. You still have a lot of friends from Polly that are here. Um, I have a great. I have a big amount of friends from Polly that are here, but a majority of them have left the area. You know, wine and viticulture is one of the few majors in which you can actually stay local. So there are a ton of Cal Poly alumni here within the wine industry. Yeah. And and were most of your friends wine and vit folks? They were, yeah. So the majority of my friends were in wine and viticulture. Um, And then I was in a sorority at Cal Poly. So I have a lot of my friends from my sorority. Um, And then I definitely tried to be active in Vines to Wines and uh, the uh, Black Student Union. So mm-hmm. I tried to find my friendships throughout all those different outlets. Um, yeah, I like to stay busy. I like to hang out with people. So it was definitely fun to be able to go and do that. Why did you get into wine aside from, I mean, it sounds like your parents probably drank wine and you were in the home and you were, you know, exposed to it from a young age. If that's what you're deciding you want to do when you're 18 years old, graduating high school. Yeah, so um, wine and food have always been in my future um, and in my past. My parents, like you said, they love wine and food, and they always introduced me to the beauty of pairing and, you know, the importance of being the kind to the people who serve you and, you know, making sure to know the background and the origin of the foods that you're eating and the wines that you're having. Um, and they just always instilled in me a, a big passion and, you know, wanting to grow and learn more and I feel like people don't realize how much there is culturally within wine. You know, wine has always been seen as this, you know, predominantly white male industry. Um, And there are so many people of color, black, indigenous people of color that make all of this happen and all of this work. Yeah. I've been in, in kind of doing homework for this season. I have been shocked. I shouldn't be shocked, but I've been shocked at how many people really there are on the central coast who are black indigenous people of color in the food and wine hospitality industry. And in general. Well, and in um, general. Yeah. So when I, um, Cal Poly was less than a percentage, like 0.04% African American and black students. Um, And then San Luis Obispo, probably not too much more than that. Um, But, you know, there are different organizations like Race Matters Slow, which is the local grassroots organization that I help to um, raise money for. Uh, Groups like that make it so that we feel seen and give us the ability to create these connections. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about the origins of that when you raised money, which is how I came to know who you were. Yeah. Um, So, um, yeah. I basically made a call call to action with my friend Simon, who's also going to be on this um, this podcast series. And we basically met each other this last March at a woman in wine Santa Barbara event. And when I tell you we met for only about five minutes, we literally only met for about five minutes. I got her email. I got distracted and I forgot to message her back and, you know, get back in contact. And then what is it? Maybe like over 
maybe two two months ago when George Floyd was murdered, she reached out to me and she was like, our industry and our area has been totally silent. Nobody's really talked about all these injustices that are going on. And we were really mad and we were really sad and we felt really small. And we realized that we wanted to make a difference. And we realized that, you know, we have these voices. Why not use them? You know, people are constantly saying silence is violence. Mm -hmm. And we decided to not be silent. We decided to basically make a call to action. Um, and we contacted different wineries, different tasting rooms, different production facilities, different wine bars. And we basically just talked about all the indecencies and all the ways in which this region has been and acted poorly towards black people and people of color and indigenous people. And we gave them ultimatums and we gave them resources and we gave them recommendations on how to better themselves as an ally. Mm -hmm. um, and as you know, as a friend, as a companion. And we basically realized Grace Matters Flow has always had our back. So it would make no sense for us to donate to these large organizations, which don't get me wrong, they're incredible. Yeah. But it's important to start local and then build out because you're not making change if you're not working with the community that you're in. Um, and Race Matters Slow is just such an incredible organization. It started about five years ago after uh, the killing of Trayvon Martin and people were upset and they decided let's make a community so we can be able to discuss these things and talk about our feelings. Yeah. They do such a good job. Did Courtney, she started it, right? Courtney Hill. Yeah. Courtney started it. Um, and I believe another woman started it. I just um, don't remember yeah. her name. Yeah. So if you feel compelled to do something locally and you, you and Simone go to race matters slow, that kind of indicates that you call this home. Do you call this home? Definitely. I've been out here since 2013. I came here right after I graduated from high school. Um, I'm two, maybe three years post-grad now. That's pretty wild to even say. Uh, so I've been, I lived out here for a good chunk of my life, you know, other than the 18 years I was in Washington, D.C. This has been my only other real home. Mm -hmm. You know, I studied abroad in Australia while I was at school and I worked abroad in New Zealand this last year. Uh, but other than that, I haven't really lived abroad or lived somewhere else before you know i've traveled i love to travel yeah. uh but this is probably one of my big two homes. yeah yeah um my husband and i spent some time in new zealand um we were there for six months and um we were in blenheim where were you um i was in the hawks bay so oh, i was okay. up on the north island east side um maybe about three hours north of Wellington, three, four hours north of Wellington. Syrah. Um, it was so incredible. Yeah, Syrah country. Yeah. Uh, we, I worked at Pask Winery, so we were in the heart of the Gimlet Gravels, which is some of the oldest Syrah vines in that area. Yeah. Um, and I really loved where I worked because I got to work at a small facility. You know, sometimes you go to these harvest jobs internationally, and you're so happy to be there, but you end up going to these large facilities where you have to fight to clean mm -hmm. a tank, you know, you have to fight to be able to stir some geese, you know, and inoculate. And I just really love the fact that I got to go somewhere where they really invested in me and I felt like I could learn and grow from them. Yeah, and try different things too, I'm sure. I've never heard that before, that you have to fight to clean a tank, which I can imagine is like... A lot of these big facilities, they end up taking, what, 14, 20, sometimes even more interns and, you know, because you do need them. You need all the hands. Don't get me wrong, you need yeah. all of them. But sometimes, you know, there are slower days and you don't get to do too much, um, mm -hmm. which is why, like, it's always important, like, in looking for your harvest opportunities to do research on the place that you want to work at and make sure it aligns with your ethos. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you when you um, were growing up? Well, let me ask you, what did your what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my parents are in politics. Uh, my dad's done everything from writing um from writing speeches for Mayor Marion Barry. Oh, uh, my mom works for the current mayor. And my dad is currently um, work one of the leads of the DC branch of the DC Sustainable Energy Utility. Um, so they basically go throughout Washington, DC, and they check out these big buildings, like some of the big buildings in downtown, and they figure out how they can be more sustainable. Um, and then they go in and they give their plan. But my dad has also worked with like Pepco. So he used to be the vice president of Pepco and he just got to do all these fun things. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't want to do politics. You know, people always say you need a lot of good wine to be political. So 
<laughs> I, I provide the wine and they do the politics. You may get drawn in. You never know. Right. I mean, maybe local, uh, lately also with everything going on, you may you may wind up in that and not even realize that it. Right. My very you. first job was for um, council member David Catania. Mm-hmm. I was I did I did um, cold calls. I did cold calls to be able to get him reelected. And that was so much fun. You know, I used to intern up on Capitol Hill and work with like the GSA, which is the Government Services Administration. So I definitely lived that D.C. life. You know, I got to really immerse myself within D.C. culture, which I really appreciated. Um, D.C. used to be Chocolate City. It's not quite that much anymore. There's been a lot of gentrification. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's really nice when you get to still find the pockets of black culture and just be part of everything. Yeah. What do you miss about that being here? It's so different Um, here. So it's it's interesting because, like, you don't realize how how lonely it is to be one of the few people of color until you really look around and you don't see anyone like you. You know, you want to have certain conversations with people, but they don't necessarily understand, you know, the underlying effects of what's been going on and what you're trying to adjust and what you're trying to talk about. And people want to listen and they want to be part of it and they want to be helpful, but they don't necessarily know how you're feeling or what to say. Whereas, you know, growing up in Chocolate City and having all these amazing black and brown people all around me, I had the opportunity to be able to talk out my feelings and have people that look like me and have had and share the same experiences as me uh, be able to listen and give advice and make sure that I'm okay. You know, holding space for each other is really important. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's something that I can't do. I've been really, I've, I've been seeing that a lot. I mean, I just, I want, I want to do that, but it's not my, it's not my job to do. I mean, it's not my place to do that, you know? Right. And that's a really place to learn and unlearn (laughs) and unlearn more than learn actually, honestly. Yeah. It's been a real, um, yeah, this is about you and not me. I will just say, though, that this is, I feel like a newborn baby in a lot of ways. I just did not realize. I did not realize. You're actually and- not the first person to have that analogy. It's sort of that idea of, you know, with, like newborn babies, you have to be able to meet them where they are. I have to meet <laughs> you where you are. You know, you got to be able to, like, you know, I might have this higher understanding of something than yeah. you do, and I have to be able to be humble and in explaining all the ways in which these things have happened. And then I, I also have to hold space for myself in knowing that I am not the spokeswoman for all black people no. and that I don't know everything in regards to race, uh, to, to race and diversity and inclusion and that I am still actively growing as well. Like everybody's actively learning. And as long as you are trying to learn, I think that's yeah, that's a hard thing for those of us, though, who have a hard time admitting that we don't know everything. I mean, right. Yeah. And and I think that our culture conditions us to think that we do to like, it's almost like an armor to say, no, I know, I know, I know everything. I, you know, I've got it. No, I love admitting I don't know what what's up. I do it all the time in the winery. I do it all the mm. time in the tasting room. You're not going to learn if you don't take the time to admit that you don't know something. Because what's going to end up happening is you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to backtrack and you're going to have to fix what you said or what you've done. But now that you've done it, you can actively actually do the work to progress. That is not a bad comparison, actually. A lot of people are very intimidated by wine. They don't know what to ask. They don't know what to say they smell or taste or think or whatever. And that's really actually a good doorway into for a lot of white folks, they don't know what am I supposed to be tasting, smelling, thinking, tell me what to do. I'll do it. And it's like with wine, no, you just have to kind of be with it. Don't you? I mean, it's, you have to get to know it. You, you aren't going to know the, the answer right away. Um, I don't know. That's probably a pretty flimsy analogy, but it feels there's something about that that feels really right. Um, as long as you're actively learning and actively trying to better yourself. Yeah. You're, you're going in the right steps. Yeah. What uh, what was one of the first wines that you ever tasted that you were like, oh, this is what I want to do? Mm. I mean, as opposed to like being a chef or being um, 
you know, a, a restaurateur? Hmm. So the first varietal that I fell in love with was Pinot Noir. And that's because of my boss, Blaine Tanner. Um, I turned 21 my junior year of college. Um, and I got to go and do my very first harvest with her through a Cal Poly's internship program. So I'd say Pinot is my favorite wine to work with. It's my favorite wine to be able to drink at the end of the day, just sort of sip on. It's delicate. It's easy to drink. It's fun. Um, but I would say the first time I really found myself in love with wine is when I was in Australia. You know, I was in the Adelaide Hills, so I got to explore Barossa Valley. I got to explore McLaren Vale. I got to explore the Adelaide Hills. And I got to learn how to do the Molly Duker shake. <laughs> and that was so much fun. Um, and that, and um, I, I basically went on different wine trips every single week while I was abroad. And I got to learn about all these different regions. And mm -hmm. Molly Duker and Sean Smith and Deviation Road were my top three wineries that I was out, out that I was at when I was out there. And I feel like Australia is probably one of the big reasons that I love Syrah. They do really nice Syrahs out there. Yeah. Um, so Syrah and Pinot are some of my favorites. Mm -hmm. If I'm drinking white, it's always going to be Viognier. Mm -hmm. I, w I like a lean Viognier. I like it clean. I don't want it fatty. I don't want it oily. Acidic. Um, I want nice acid. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want my mouth to water and I want to sip on it all night long. Yeah. Um, and one of the people that got me to love Viognier was Amy Butler. She owns Ranchero Cellars. Yeah. Robles. Right. I got to work a harvest with her. I worked in her tasting room for a little bit of time. And she just does such an elegant Viognier. Um, during quarantine, I actually opened up a 2014 Viognier that I had in my in my wine closet all hidden all back. And I popped it open and it was so beautiful. I dream about that wine sometimes. Um, and, you know, always got to support female winemakers. And Amy has always been such um, a great influence for me. And she's just so kind and so honest and so knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, and she can really break things down to make it um, easy to understand for the average day consumer, which I really appreciate. She's an outgoing person, too. I mean, if you're talking about really strong female oh, winemakers. She's, so strong. she's awesome. Amy and Lane. So tell oh, me yeah. about... Tell me about I'm your relationship with Lane. I'm so many awesome ladies, and I'm yeah. really thankful for that. So I could talk forever and ever and ever about Lane Tanner. Mm. Um, for anybody listening, if you don't know who Lane Tanner is, she is the first um, female winemaker in Santa Barbara County. She is known as Pino's Arena, so she's the princess of Pino. Uh, she was she started in wine when there really weren't any ladies, and she never backed down from what she knew. She got into wine um, through chemistry after sort of making her way into the wine industry. And it was just really fun because when I was in Australia, I knew that I wanted to go back and I wanted to go and do a harvest before I got into tasting rooms and hospitality because I studied wine business. Mm -hmm. And I was applying for this job while I was in Australia, and going back and forth, going back and forth. And Cal Poly had this internship meetup and I'm all excited to meet Lane because I've been looking her up and she always wore like cool hair colors and she's loud and funny and has the best stories and i got to meet her in person and we just clicked like that she wears tie-dye i wear tie-dye she likes <laughs> old school music i like old school music we both love jazz um so she's and she's always been willing to teach me i i acknowledge the fact that wine production was not my concentration mm. i knew everything hospitality i can sell anything almost yeah. And Lane took me in and she 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 was very gracious and she gave me all the knowledge that I needed. And I've been with her for these last five years and I really know what I'm doing now. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to say that without Lane. Yeah. What's her team like? Are you is it a super small team or are you one of like just a couple people or is it bigger it's than me that? And her. Wow. It's literally just her and I. So yeah. like Lane is so great. We get we just get to chat all day. Um we listen to podcasts and we like, we like to talk books. We talk yeah. about food. We talk about wine, of course. We talk about her dogs. We talk about my family. We talk about her family. Her husband's Ricky Hill and he owns his, uh, he's a winemaker for Tantara and then he owns his own label called Labyrinth. So yeah. when I'm not with Lane, I'm also helping out Ricky. I'm in the cellar with him as well. And it's so fun to be able to work 
with both Lane and with Ricky because Lane is, she has a very certain way of doing things. She's been doing it the same way she's always done it. And Ricky is just like awesome, fun, like wild Kiwi. And he just sort of goes with the flow. And he's very different style than Lane. So it's really fun to have the two dynamics and to be able to learn from both of them. And all those different wines, too, because they're all sourced from yes. different spots, right? Exactly. So Ricky yeah. sources from all throughout Santa Barbara County. And then Lane sources from all throughout Santa Barbara County. But we have a much more specific set of wines. Um, so for Lumen, we do Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Grenache Blanc, Grenache Noir, and Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And then for Tantara, we do anything from Malbec to Cab to Petit Syrah to Tempranillo to Pinot, Chardonnay to Vino to Grenache Blanc. It's just like the list goes on. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really fun to be able to go and help him and to get to learn about all these different varieties that I hadn't really worked with before. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when I worked in, I think it was, it was 2018 when I worked with Amy. So I, um, I got to learn about Carignan. I got to learn about Tempranillo. I got to learn about Viognier from her. And is then, she all you know, Paso? Everything for her is Paso, right? I'm pretty sure, unless she's doing her Dorothy Jean label, which is also great. It's a it's um it's a it's a partnership between Amy Butler and Janice Denner, who owns oh, yeah. Pelletieri, where Amy is Pelletieri's winemaker, but then on the side they do Dorothy Jean and they source their Chardonnay from Sierra Madre. Okay, okay yes. that is that thought. Yes. Nice. Well, wow. Yes. Way to bring it full circle. It's so connected. It's awesome. It is. Well, and especially here, it's so connected. But have you ever been tempted to like to move? Oh, to Napa, to Willamette, to Yakima? I have a lot of friends in Willamette. I have a lot of friends in Napa. I have a lot of friends in Sonoma. I got friends in Texas. I got friends in Vermont. You know, I got friends in Virginia. I would love making wine. Making, making wines in Vermont. Wine. Yes. If you haven't heard of Zafa Wines, Z-A-F-A, um, it's Krista Scrub. She's an amazing natural winemaker. She's a black woman. She's queer. And she's just so fantastic. And she does all these fun natural ferments. Well, she do like wine grapes, all these fun varietals. Um, and then she'll also do like apples. So she'll do like a fun co-ferment. And she just released her first wine club. Um, called it's I don't know what it's called, but it's awesome. And I signed up. She's an incredible lady, and if you don't know about her stuff, definitely look into it. Okay, I will include that in the show notes. That's awesome. With um, when you talk about natural wine, makes me think about a lot of the stuff that's been coming up on your Instagram stories lately about natural wine and people not people being obsessive about you know the provenance of a wine versus. And not speaking up about race, not speaking up for, you know, for anything really other than their obsession with the natural wine. Can you talk a little bit about that? Natural wine is more than sustainability. It's more than biodynamics. You know, you have to make sure that you're sustainable all the way down to the core, all the way down to the vineyards, all the way down to the ways in which vineyard workers are treated, production workers are treated, vineyard practices, you know, Wine is not just a luxury product. It's an agricultural product. And Ashton Berry does a really great job of talking about that. And just the the fact that there's so much erasure of the history of the land in which wine is grown and those who tend to that land is extremely harmful and abusive. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. People want to slap on natural wines, but are y'all really going and looking at what, you know, what is really happening on that vineyard? If you're not, paying attention to everything you're not paying attention to anything um and i don't like i said i don't know everything i know a lot about what ashton has talked about but if you want to learn a little bit more about it go to that page um and look at some of the notes that she's had because she'll give you a really great breakdown of everything yeah i think that's a good way to look at it i it always has bugged me when people talk about a wine in terms of, well, yeah, organic, biodynamic, um, you know, all of the chemical stuff, but they don't talk about the human resource section of it, which is, are you people getting paid enough? Are people, you know, be giving proper hours? Do people, you know, have, um, you know, safe, you know, safe surroundings? Yeah. 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 And a huge topic with ag is like, do these people have shade? Do they yes. have access to clean water? I mean, there are very basic things. But that everyone are, should have and people don't have. And that's not okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey there, a quick interlude to talk about another one of my supporters. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service. Community-owned Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring that they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. I want to know about your parents. So the fact that (laughs) we're not sure, but all evidence points to the fact that perhaps you were a twinkle in their eye in Paso Robles at one time. Um, Were they so proud of the fact that you came back here and were... They're so happy. Everything I do is because of my parents. I'm so thankful that I was given my mom and dad, the mom and dad that I have. They've Mm -hmm. always been nothing but supportive. They've always given me a push towards the right direction, but they've never pushed me towards something that I don't love. My mom always told me she doesn't want me to have an office job. She wants me to be able to open a door and, you know, look inside a beautiful tasting room or be able to spend hours upon hours walking through the vineyards and picking different grape samples. She wanted more for me than what she gets. Don't get me wrong. She loves her job, you know, but being in DC, there's nature, but there's not the type of nature that there is out here. But, you know, even within that, that that all goes into the idea that I'm getting all this nature. I'm getting all this, you know, all this beauty, but we're lacking in diversity. So, you know, there's always a catch 22. No place is absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's, it's true. Um, when you think about what you want to do next, I mean, in terms of how, how old are you, Justin? Is it okay if I ask? 25. 25. So you've, you know, you're, you're beginning your career, you're young in your career, but if you were to kind of take it all the way down to like, I don't know, 20, 25 years from now, I mean, what would be success for you? Um, happiness. I want to be happy. You know, happiness is the most important thing. You know, if I can find somewhere that allows me to work in the vineyards, be in the winery and also sell wine and interact with customers, that would be happiness for me. You know, I love being able to walk up and down these vineyards and watch the fruit progress and be able to harvest that and, you know, look at it a year, two years later and bottle one, just be like, damn, I did that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm social. I love to talk to people. I love to share my experiences and I love to share my excitement for wine and get people that don't necessarily know things about wine or do know things about wine excited about new things that they hadn't thought about. Yeah, for sure. And getting, um, I think that if you have the gift of being able to talk to people and you're open about being social, I mean, there are a ton of wine brands that need winemakers like that. There are so many introvert winemakers that like, I know (laughs) the brand is like, could you please talk to people once in a while? And the, you know, and I'll be honest, it's a lot of guys. I'm a Pisces. I love people, but I need my alone time. And, you know, I need to, I try and hold space for myself. I, I love talking to people, but if I don't get to go home and watch my television and drink my wine and have my alone time, I'm not going to be happy the next day. You know, yeah. I need to be able to have the back. Yeah. What, what is Pisces? What month were you born? March, tw- March 20th. I'm the last day of Pisces. I'm, I'm, I'm a Pisces Aries cusp. I, okay. And I'm, I'm April 3rd. So I'm. I'm Aries and I definitely need my alone time, but I am, I am social. Like I can do this, but if I don't get alone time, nobody wants to be around me. Exactly. It's that whole idea of being able to recharge. Mm-hmm. Recharge is so important. What's that been like for you lately? Cause you've been so active lately. What is recharging? It's been really hard. You know, I like to talk about making sure to hold space for others, but making sure to hold space for yourself. But I oftentimes find it, hard to make space for myself because I want to make sure that everybody else is so happy that mm-hmm. I sometimes forget about my happiness. So I've definitely been working on that more. Um, I'm going home to DC in about two weeks. 
So I'm really excited about that. My family was initially supposed to come out here, but of course, Corona. Mm-hmm. And as sad as I am that they're not coming out here, I'm really happy to be able to hide inside my house, hang out with my mom, talk all night long with my dad and watch anime with my little brother, like, and go on walks in Rock Creek Park with my dog. Like, those are the four mm-hmm. things that I want in life, and I'm about to get them two weeks. I go home once a year, if not every other year. You know, it's so expensive to go back home. So when I get to go see them, I get really excited. Yeah, once every other year is, that's far apart. Especially with a little brother yeah, who's right? getting older. He's yeah. 14. And it's it's really hard, you know, getting a picture and then being like, wow, you look like a totally different person. Yeah. And so that's that an is age. difficult. That's an age yeah. where they change a lot, too. Yes. Oh, my goodness. His voice is so low right now. I'm like, Teddy, go <laughs> His name's Teddy? Teddy, Theodore Edward III. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, if you, you talk about TV, you talk about jazz. I mean, what are you, what are you reading right now? What are you listening to? What's like, what's like a Desert Island record that you like? Ooh. Hmm. I've been getting more and more into Spike Lee movies. Um, Netflix has a really cool black black um, creatives collection right now where you can watch all these different movies. Mm-hmm. And there are all these movies that I hadn't seen before, so like Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Um, I was really excited about that. That's my current favorite movie. Mm-hmm. But a movie that I could watch for the rest of my life would have to be any of the Lord of the Rings films. <gasps> One of the main reasons that I went out to New Zealand is because I had to go to Rivendell. So we, okay, so well, I'm chills. So I also, we also decided to go to New Zealand, first of all, for um, the Sauvignon Blanc, but then second of all, for um, Lord of the Rings. Where is Rivendell? Um, it's about 45 minutes north of um, Wellington. It so is? like. Yeah. Well, okay. So we, we did go to, um, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed now. I can't remember the name of it. But the second one with the horses, what it, Rohan, we went Rohan. That, and that's in, um, what's the place with all the Pinots on the South Island? Like, uh, the um, famous. Let's look at my map. Oh, look. Starts with an O. Otara, uh, Otago, Central Otago. Central Otago. Yeah, we went there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite one of the three? Um, I really like Return of the King. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when all when all the um, when all those ghosts come in, they're like, wah, 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 wah. I never understood why the ghosts just came for that, even though the battle totally continued for another like half an hour. I'm like, we could we could have used you for so much longer. <laughs> That's your job was not done. Yeah, right. Right. What are you reading right now? Um, I just finished a really good book. What was it called? Let me go and look at it. I'll be right mm. Yep. Um, so I actually found this book when I was in New Zealand um, at this little library. It was pretty awesome. I got it when I was in Tasman Nelson. Mm. I like cheesy books. I love cooking books. So this one actually fit everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Lunch in Paris. And it's about this American who meets this Parisian and she moves. And she just talks about how culturally different France is and the ways, you know, all the ways. Um, and every single chapter, she talks about a certain recipe and how that recipe sort of helped her through that point in her life. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm in the middle of this awesome book called Hood feminism, and it talks about black culture and how black women are are left behind in feminism, even though we're always at the forefront and at the front line in all of this action. Um, and then I also just finished up this book called Joyland, and it's by Stephen King, and it's real fun. My mom sent it to me on audiobook, and I got to listen to it with my boyfriend on our way up to Big Sur. Oh, nice. um, so, you know, going into that whole idea of, like, not having time for myself, I have a stack, like a fat stack of books that I want to read that I just haven't had the time to. And I'm really excited to be able to bring some of them home and just do my thing. Yes, just to 
yeah, sit in your bed, in your childhood bed, and read your books for sure. Right? Yeah. And then uh, I, um, I've been reading a lot of articles. I've been just going through my Instagram and finding new people uh, to be able to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for music, I really like Chloe X Halley. Um, mm-hmm. They're awesome. They just came out with a new album that I've just been playing on repeat. And then I always listen to my Discover Weekly on Spotify. Yeah. I have a pretty eclectic music taste. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I really love jazz, but I also like R&B. I love hip hop. Yeah. Um, and I listen to a lot of film scores. Like yeah. if I could only choose one style of music to listen for the rest of my life, it would probably be film scores. Really? Did you ever play music? Um, I did not. I sang growing up, um, but my boyfriend plays the cello. So for our first Christmas together, he made me a Lord of the Rings inspired song. And that was pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Does he, um, my son plays cello. Does he, um, did he grow up here? Your boyfriend? Uh, he's from Santa Cruz. Oh, he is. Okay. Is it, yeah, he's a wine guy? No, he, uh, he's a biologist. Um, so because Corona, he's currently unemployed, uh, but he was a wildlife naturalist over at Camp Heath, um, down in Aurora Grande. So it has, um, kids from Kern County. They get to come in and they, what is it? A week session even? They, they come in for a week long session where they get to learn about all these different things about what is it? Like they get to, you get to teach them about birds and reptiles to take them to the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty awesome, honestly. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, so what, if we're talking about wine and you were, I don't know, say on your deathbed um, and you were going to pick a wine that you wanted to drink, what would you have and what would you eat it with? No, what would you eat with it and who would be there? Mm. That's a hard question. So, mm, honestly, I'm not going to lie. It would probably be one of Lane's old Pinots. So, like I said, Lane's been making wine since the early 80s. Um, This last year, she was nominated as um, Winemaker of the Year for Wine Enthusiast. And we had this huge blowout party at Pico. And when everybody came in, they had all these different Lane Tanner Magnums. So we tried Magnums from like 1982 all the way up to 2000. And they were all pouring so beautifully. Um, And we had them with, what did we have it with? We had this like delicious duck sausage um, medley with like peas. And then we had this like s'more chocolate cake. I feel like if I could recreate that night, that would be my last meal on earth. Also because Lane would be there. Lane, it sounds like she is just so awesome. I've never met her in person. I should probably invite her to come on here. Definitely. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I I'm thinking about, um, What's next for you in terms of, I, I keep coming back to, I really think that Justin might end up in politics. <laughs> um, you know, unwittingly, what do you, what would you like to see in, you live in slow, like me, we actually don't live too far from each other. What would you like to see happen in slow and any idea? I, I'd do like you to have see hope? charges against Tiana. That would be a start. Dropped. I want to make sure that she's okay. She's got so much trauma from that whole experience. Um, and there's so many black people in this era that have trauma from all the experiences in which we've lived living on the central coast. I can name like so many things and ways in which I've been microaggressed towards or, you know, belittled, but I'm not going to, this is not the episode to call people out. I can do that another day. Um, trust black people, you know, give us the same, the same amount of respect as you would any other person, because we're, we're people, we're human, um, make sure to do your research and make sure to actively buy black. There is a black business directory on race matters slows page. You know, it really starts there. Um, 
defund the police, reallocate all of those funds that they have, you know, put it towards our education system, put it towards our local government. There's so many amazing different ways in which we can put all the money that goes towards them. Um, what else? I always have a little note of it because I always forget about it. Um, where is it? Take your time. It's important. Notes are important. So acknowledge that there's a new landscape in the political activation within hospitality. Um, whatever has happened before COVID, forget about it. We're at a new turning point in the United States. You know, there are generations and generations of trauma within the black community. And every day we are breaking those walls and becoming a better version of ourselves. And it's really hard, but we are progressing. Um, and I think we just got to, you know, white people and other people of color, they just got to have our back. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it all comes down to having each other's back and being being a good supporter um, and being willing to have uncomfortable conversations until you come to a newfound realization of what you can do. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about um, the concept of, you know, one of the most important things to do when a woman comes and says she's been sexually assaulted. It's so Buster, sad. And, and yes, exactly. But it's so pathetic that that's, that's that all you have, have to, to do. All you have to do is trust her and believe her. I've been thinking a lot about that with regard to, um, with regard to race. And it's like, when you said trust black people, believe them, it's crazy to me that that's the beginning line, but I'll be honest, as I really look and explore the way that I live in this world and move in this world, that is the first step. And I, I would be lying if I didn't say that that is, that is work right now. There are a lot of ways to do that work. And that's one of them is just to ponder what it means to trust and believe right? people. Exactly. Yeah. Because a lot of the media has fallen silent on the Black Lives Matter movement within these last few weeks, Black Lives Matter is not a moment, it's a movement. There's a lot of unrest still, there's tons of murders still, and there's a lot of aggression coming to the police, like you can see in Portland. And you know, we have to be able to keep ourselves up to date with what's going on and actively make ourselves more understanding and more more, um, more aware of all the unjust injustices that are going on. Yeah, yeah, and it can't happen in a vacuum. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, you said you think things are getting better. Is that in terms of like the human race? Okay. And this is not fair to ask you, but I, I would answer it. I'm happy to answer it if, if you will. I, I think that things are getting better. And but we I still think, have a long way to go. Oh, no, no question about it. No question. But I think the fact, believe it or not, social media, I actually think it's bringing things so close to people. It's in their face. Um, they can't avoid it. You have to see something when you're on your phone. And it's, I remember I studied um, art and photography in college. And we had a civil rights movement, a really famous um, civil rights photographer from Life magazine came to our school and put up an exhibition of all of the work. So like photos the photo of Emmett Till when he's when he was found dead in in the river in the lake, this man took that photo and it was just unbelievable. So we got to see originals of those, and I remember the woman who was leading the talk said, "You know, the civil rights movement would not have happened if it weren't for photographers from Life magazine taking images in the South and bringing them to the North and making people say, I had no idea this was happening.'" So if that's what happened then, social media, I think, has a lot of evils, but this is not one of them. I think that bringing awareness through social media, it could be it could spark such good change. But it's but it's all still up for grabs. Who knows if it. Will right. Actually. And, you know, bringing that awareness within social media, that means people have to continue to do the work. 
and um, continued to post and talk about all these things. I've seen on my media, on, on my on my um, my feed, all these nobody nobody's talking about it anymore, and I have to actively go out of my way to be able to find things to listen to and things to look at and things to learn from. And it's just really frustrating because Instagram is actively pushing out the Black Lives Matter movement. Is it? Yes. I feel like my feed is nowhere as close to showing me all the different things in which that I have been looking at over the last few weeks. And I've talked with multiple friends and we're like, mm -hmm. it's so much harder to find these things. So we got to go out of our way. And I'm more than happy to do that. But, but the average person, yeah. And the average right. person wouldn't even realize that it's happening, but I'm, I'm learning it because, you know, I'm starting to see, I'm starting to be aware. I'm starting to know. Yeah. If people wanted to follow you on Instagram, what is your handle? Um, what is it? J Medici. So it's like the Medici family. Lowell. I made my Instagram in high school during my APR history class. And I thought it was really cool that the Medici family were patrons of the art. Yeah. So Jay Medici 320. It's my birthday. Pisces. <laughs> nice. Okay. I did wonder about the Medici thing, but I get it. I get it. Right. Well, you are really amazing. And I, I say that because I've been talking to people and watching, and I just think that you are a star about to rise on the rise. Um, and I'm excited that you're going to be helping and interviewing other folks on here. How are you feeling about that? Good, good. I've been working on my questions. Um, I definitely want to make sure like at the beginning of all my sessions, the fact that I want to tell them that I'm holding space for them yeah. um, and just talk to them about the idea or about the understanding that blackness isn't a monolith. And I want to let them know that I know that they are not a representat the representative for black indigenous people of color. And I just want them to know that I'm so thankful to have them here. Um, and I want to be kept up to speed with their emotions and their feelings and their needs um, mm -hmm. in all aspects. So yeah. I'm really excited. And I think you can have a conversation with them that I can't. That's why I asked you. So Right. And as long as you're here listening to it, I'm totally in. Oh, um, totally. Right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, someday we'll meet in person. It's ridiculous that we can't do that now, but I look forward to it. Me too. Justin, thank you for your time and for doing all this. Of course. Have a great rest of your night, Jamie. You too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Consumed. I'm grateful for all of your ears every single day. The podcast is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. I hope you'll support the businesses and people featured this season and come back for another season of Consumed this winter. Until then, take care.